Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 16. As you can tell from my uh, hushed tones, uh, this is a late-night record, uh, much like episode uh, 7, I think. Um, yeah, due to uh, holiday plans, I find myself unable to uh, to record during the day at the moment, so, uh, so this is what it's going to be. That on top of the fact that I am uh, currently getting over a cold, and I'm sure my voice sounds strange right now, so sorry about that. Um, so just a quick update, um, the show did not win the podcast award, uh, thanks to everybody who uh, voted. Um, it was really neat getting nominated, and it was a neat experience, I got a lot of uh uh, emails of uh, support and encouragement during the process, and uh, and it was just really neat. And I got an, uh, some you know a nice bump in numbers, nothing too significant, but uh, enough that uh, uh, it was uh, encouraging. So, um, and again, if there's anybody who uh, is listening now as a result of uh, of uh, the podcast award nomination, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, to mention, um, I don't think there is. So, uh, what I will say is that this episode is going to have spoilers for uh, two movies. Um, one is Up in the Air, the new uh, George Clooney film, uh, and then another is a film from 2005 called Broken Flowers uh, that starred uh, Bill Murray. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know that uh, both of those movies, you know, Up in the Air just came out and. Uh, Broken Flowers is uh, still relatively recent, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to listen to this and uh, get angry with me. Um, I won't try to, try to go, in, I, I'll try not to go into uh, too much detail, but uh, but yeah, I do want to be able to discuss the films uh, relatively in depth, so uh, I'll just let you know in advance that uh, that there will be spoilers. So, um, so yeah, here we go. Uh <coughs> So uh, we'll kick this one off with uh, Genesis 2.18, uh, in which it says, It is not good for uh, the man to be alone. Uh, God says that uh, in Genesis. Uh, and, of course, what's interesting is that uh, up until that point, because it's still very early in the Bible, God is uh, creating various things, uh, you know, heavens and the earth, etc. Uh, and after everything that he creates, he says that it is good. He observes that it is good. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, after a while, after he inve- uh, invents, after he creates uh, man, he says that he says that something is not good. And uh, what is not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. And it is not long after this statement that uh, God creates woman. And uh, but let's we, we won't focus on that just yet. Um, so it is in the spirit of that that we will approach um up in the Air. Now, uh, Up in the Air is directed by Jason Reitman, who previously directed uh, Thank You for Smoking, which I talked about in Episode 9, uh, and he also directed Juno, which is a film that I didn't really care for, but it certainly put him, uh, put him on the map, and, uh, and I, saw, I saw Up in the Air, um, gosh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, and uh, I absolutely loved it. It really is a, a film that just... Uh, it just grabbed me pretty much from the opening credit sequence and never let go. Uh, it's it's everything that I like uh, in a movie. It's got 
wonderful performances from everybody involved. Uh, it's brilliantly written, and uh, there's a definite uh, filmmaking technique. Uh, the nature of the story, uh, in which it you know it's focusing very primarily on uh, character and dialogue. Uh, it's not really a film uh, of events. You know, it's mostly based on character uh, on a character journey, um, <clears throat> and so. Uh, I tend to like those kind of things, but I do understand that often when a film is emphasizing character, uh, it feels that it, the, the director seems to feel that uh, he doesn't need to bring any kind of visual flair to the story. And, you know, sometimes that's, you know, the, the if a performance is good and if a character is good, then then that will sometimes be enough for me, but it's not as satisfying an experience as just a film that is well-made and it happens to uh, have wonderful characters in it. And Jason Reitman has really... I mean, I, I can't think of anything wrong with this film. Um, he really... He directs in such a way that uh, the, the film really moves fast and it doesn't. It never gets bogged down in the drama. Um, the comedy is there and you do laugh quite a bit in the film. Uh and it's just, uh, it's it's hard to explain, but it certainly is not a film that just sits there and lets the actors do all the work. The director, uh, Jason Ryman, he, uh, he's really quite a talented director and a talented writer. Um, uh, he co-wrote it with uh, Sheldon Turner, and uh, it's really a wonderful script. Um, and, you know, it should be noted, I, I mentioned that I didn't care for Juno, and a lot of my problem with Juno was its script, and uh, that you know can be attributed to uh, Diablo Cody. Jason Reitman does not have a writing credit on that film. He does have one for Thank You for Smoking, and he has one uh, for uh, Up in the Air, and I liked those both immensely more. And so I think he's, uh, I think he's, and he he does uh, he does some pretty great things with Juno, but I think he uh, is a director who. I think he's a good writer-director, not just a good director. And so, um, and Up in the Air continues that trend, and I think he might wi- might wind up uh, winning an Oscar, probably for adapted screenplay, if I had to guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, w- where he goes with this. Uh, wh- by this, I mean his career. Um, I'm really excited to see where, uh, where he goes from here, because... Uh, in the course of three years, he has established himself as just a solid filmmaker uh, who puts out a quality product that is, I would say, commercially viable, but doesn't sacrifice uh, artistic integrity uh, in order to bring in audiences. Um, and he and he has shown himself to be a great director uh, of actors as well. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, Thank You for Smoking, you see Aaron Eckhart really attacking a character that is not easy to play and, and is inherently not very likable, but you wind up not only just liking him, but being completely on his side. And the same can be said of George Clooney. He's playing a character who uh, spouts a lot of, you know, spouts philosophies that, you know, chances are going into the film you are inclined to disagree with. Um, and he says it with a total confidence to the point that you, uh, you start to think, yeah, man, maybe this guy is onto something. Um, Jason Reitman and, and George Clooney really work together to bring out, uh, uh, the 
charisma of this of this character while also uh hinting at while never actually coming out and and showing us uh a great deal of sadness but uh we'll get in more into that in a minute first i, I want to talk about what what the film is about um george Clooney plays a character named uh ryan bingham who uh he works for a company that sends him around to various uh other corporate uh uh, corporations that are in the process of downsizing uh, due to, you know, the recession and the poor economy and uh, that sort of thing. So his job is to come is to step in and handle the rather unpleasant process of laying people off. Uh, so he deals with them face to face. He presents them with the, the severance package and kind of explains it to them. Uh, and that way, the uh, the the management of these corporations uh, they don't really have to get their hands dirty, uh, and they don't have to worry about getting yelled at uh, by the employees that are being laid off. And so, so George Clooney uh, he just flies from one city to another to another to another, just basically laying laying people off. Uh, he, of course, he has no impact on the decisions of who gets laid off he is merely just uh, kind of a kind of a hatchet man um and and as his uh as his boss played by Jason Bateman as his boss says you know as the recession is is really continuing on uh you know he in a rather humorous moment he says this is this is our moment at this company you know people are getting laid off right and left and um, you know, management and executives certainly don't want to deal with the unpleasantness of that. So that's where we come in. And, uh, and so, so it's, it's already a fairly cynical film. Uh, but as we see, uh, George Clooney's character, he has a lot of, he does a lot of things. He's not merely just this guy who comes in and, and handles situations. Uh, he also goes on speaking engagements in which he, uh, kind of gives pep talks to people, uh, you know, corporate people who uh, need to travel uh, or whatever. And, and it's, it's a strange pep talk because ultimately uh, using the, the, the metaphor of a backpack and uh, the things that you put in it, uh, and of course he speaks in, in larger terms uh, like... You put in people you know, family, acquaintances, girlfriends, children. Uh, you put them in your backpack. Now imagine having to lug it around. How heavy would that be? It'd be impossible. And uh, and so basically, uh, through these, you know, uh, collection of scenes, uh, we we find that he is a man who is he is up in the air in every sense of the term. Uh, he is flying all over the country. But he also doesn't have his feet firmly planted on anything specific. He hates, he officially lives, I believe, in Omaha. Uh, and it's an interesting uh, visual image is that when he walks into his apartment, it looks just as bare as the hotel rooms that we've seen and not nearly as nice. Um, and so he, he officially lives there, but he doesn't, he doesn't have his feet planted there. Um, he has no connections. He's not married, doesn't have a girlfriend. Uh, he has a couple of sisters that he doesn't really uh, talk to very often. One of them is getting married, and that enters into the into the story. Uh, and so he's just up in the air. He's just kind of floating, and he seems to like it that way. Um, and when I say seems, 
as I was saying before, they don't give you much. This is a man with total confidence in the life choices that he has made. He actually finds it very satisfying. Um, you know, he, he is a very charming guy. And as we see in an early, uh, encounter in an airport bar, um, he is able to pick up women pretty easily. Of course, uh, he looks like George Clooney and George Clooney's a good looking guy, but he also has kind of that swagger, uh, and that, uh, confidence. And, and so he's just naturally appealing to, to everybody, to, uh, women that he meets, to the people that he has to lay off. They get angry with him, certainly, but he actually, uh, has been able to say just the right thing, uh, often to not necessarily make them happy, but to kind of diffuse their anger. He's just, he's gotten really good at saying all the right things while not being too emotionally invested in the people that he's dealing with. So his life uh, is going pretty much the way he wants it to go uh, until it's announced that uh, his company might start doing something different. Rather than send uh, guys out on the road to, uh, you know, talk with... uh, soon-to-be unemployed people uh, face-to-face, they will actually (laughs) stay in Omaha and they would uh, talk to people over the computer. Um, And uh, there's a a young woman uh, by the name of Natalie, played by uh, Anna Kendrick, uh, who's kind of spearheading this this technology. It will save the company uh, a lot of money on flights. Um, George Clooney, of course, his character, for several reasons, says that this is a a terrible idea, uh, most notably because he kind of wants to preserve his way of life and wants to continue being on the road. Um, Not literally, of course, he's always on a plane, but uh, he wants to keep that going. But also he understands the nature of what he is doing, and he understands to a certain degree the point of what he is doing. Talking to people face to face and dealing with them as people, even if their co- if their own company won't do it, uh, if they're being talked to by another person who can adapt what uh, he is saying to their specific story and their specific needs, um, it he's found that that actually helps make the process go smoother. Now, if the the person is just sitting down in front of a computer and then somebody in a completely other state is saying, hey, you've been fired, there's a packet in front of you, uh, you know, good luck, uh, it will lose a, a certain touch. So as he is, uh, as George Clooney is pleading with his boss to not uh, implement these changes, uh his boss says, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you take this girl, Natalie, on the road, make your case to her, convince her that this is something that can't be done by computer, it can only be done face-to-face, convince her, and, uh, you know, and, and we'll see what we can do. And so, um, <clears throat> so a good portion of the film is kind of a buddy movie with, uh, you know, this, this, uh, older guy who's used to being alone and then this uh, spunky young girl who is just uh, very new to this and she seems kind of cutthroat in in some of her approaches but uh, she's actually uh, very sweet and kind of naive at times and and watching the two of them interact is actually uh, quite a pleasure because uh, 
he gets to we get to hear him spout his philosophy to her and and it is interesting because we are sort of put in her position because we share a lot of the same values that she does about family and you know human connection even though even though she uh, is working on something for the company that will eliminate a certain human connection. Um, but at her heart, she, you know, she has a boyfriend that she cares for deeply, um, and has made certain sacrifices to keep their relationship going. And so, uh, so we actually are kind of on board with her philosophically. And so, uh, when George Clooney is talking to her, he's kind of talking to us. And to a certain extent, he, you know, he makes his case and, and, uh, at some point, uh, here's one of those spoilers, uh, Natalie's boyfriend uh, breaks up with her uh, by way of text, and it really throws her into a kind of an emotional tailspin, and, and, it, and it just serves to uh, confirm what Ryan has been saying uh, this whole time, that, you know, why go through the bother of this? Uh, meanwhile... He has been, he's kind of had this uh, relationship with, with the woman that he met at the airport bar and picked up, uh, a fellow, you know, kind of a fellow traveler um, who, you know, crisscrosses the country as well. And so they decide that they're going to have a, a relationship of sorts, certainly not, uh, you know, uh, like a boyfriend girlfriend kind of thing. But it is uh, mutually beneficial, is the thing. And, um, and Ryan soon finds himself uh, committing uh, to the relationship uh, more than he expected to because he just finds somebody that he is kind of a kindred spirit with. And so he, we see this, this guy have, he's got two relationships going, uh, you know, quite suddenly, um, unexpectedly. One with this young woman, Natalie, who keeps saying things like, you know, you can't just be alone. You, you know, what about when you get older? What about when things go bad? What about when things go great? You know, don't you want somebody there? So you've got her whispering this in his ear and he keeps saying, no, no, believe me, it's better to be, you know, to be alone, to be, uh, you know, unattached. So you've got that on he's got that on one side and then on another on the other side he has this developing relationship with a woman who seems to f- understand him you know he he his whole life he's had people that seem to always want him to do things a certain way and now he has a woman who who seems to get where he's coming from finally and oddly enough uh it endears him to her so much that he's willing to, he, he slowly begins to, he finds that he's willing to give up, uh, that which brought them together, that which, uh, uh, you know, they have in common, which is this idea of not being attached and just kind of, you know, we've got this relationship and if we find ourselves in the same city at the same time, then you know, why not do this? And he, and it becomes clear just that he, he does recognize a need for somebody else. Um, so much so that when he finally does attend, uh, 
his sister's wedding, he invites this woman uh, to go along with him. And the woman's name is Alex, and she's played by uh, Vera Farmiga. And just the the chemistry that the two of them have is just so perfect. I mean, it's just so nice and quiet, and, you know, there's some stuff is spoken, some is not, because it doesn't really need to be. Um, because I think when you find somebody who, you know, understands you to a certain extent, of course, I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't communicate, but... Uh, there are some things that somehow they just kind of, you just kind of know you don't necessarily have to say everything and the and the film understands that and and the actors do as well and so their scenes really uh really crackle uh which is not something I say lightly simply because it sounds kind of cheesy to say but like you know their moments of of romance are truly romantic and um but their like their quiet moments of companionship are very touching um and so so ryan be- between all these you know all these different things and it's it's odd because he's really just surrounded by women um because he has two sisters and he goes to uh he goes to the wedding and sees them and uh and between all these things uh he starts to realize that perhaps Natalie is right, and perhaps he does need somebody else uh, in his life. Um, because one thing that he has done is he's seen, in fact, his whole career is based on seeing people respond to a sudden, unexpected crisis, you know, which is uh, losing your job when you weren't expecting it. And so. And then, you know, that mirroring, mirroring that with a sudden change in what his job could be, um, I think he's starting to question, you know, what his life is going to amount to. Um, and so uh, here comes another one of those spoilers. Uh, so he finally decides that he's going to kind of break his own rules, his and Alex's own rules, and he is going to seek her out where she lives and he's going to try and make a go of this thing. Um, and it doesn't go well. Uh, and it, she winds up getting very upset with him. Uh, I won't say specifically why I won't spoil the scene itself for you, but it, it doesn't go well. She is not receptive to the idea of, uh, escalating their relationship. Um, but what, and, and you would expect based on, the way that he has acted in the past and and the philosophies that he has said, you expect him to, to say, well, I knew it and go back to being kind of his cynical self and, and, and say, you know what, this was, this was such a hassle, you know, look at this rejection that I just suffered. You know, I go, I, I step out of myself once and I'm shut down. You expect him to do that, but it doesn't happen that way. The, the switch has been flipped and now he just needs now now he's okay with the idea of of any kind of companionship not even just romantic companionship um and you find him making certain you know taking certain steps towards human connection uh with his sister who just got married with Natalie um and and it's something that you know it's it's not a huge he's not making huge steps 
in, uh, you know, towards companionship and towards connection, but he is, you know, he's making a giant leap as far as where we see him at the beginning of the film. Um, and it's, and so it, it, what's fascinating about the film is that the, the journey that he goes on is very subtle. It's not huge, uh, as far as what we're looking at, but the film does such a great job of putting us in his mindset that we realize this is huge. This is a giant thing that he is doing to put himself out there. And then once rejected to keep himself out there, whether it be with his family or with friends or whatever, that he, he just, he can't go back to what he used to do. Um, and it is uh, with this that we will uh, bring up uh, the companion film, which is uh, Jim Jarmusch's uh, Broken Flowers, which was one of my, one of my favorite movies of 2005. Uh, and it stars Bill Murray as a uh, 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 conceivably a millionaire, uh, a guy who does not have to worry about money. Uh, you, He doesn't work. He invested in computer technology years ago and it seems to have paid off because he can kind of do whatever he wants he uh you know he just kind of lounges around his apartment he hangs out with his next door neighbor a guy named winston who works i think three jobs and has a big family and is an amateur detective and and so uh so bill murray plays a guy named uh, don johnston and uh he has been described by other people as a kind of a don juan type uh, he's had a lot of, uh, romantic, uh, relationships with women. Uh, sometimes they last a long time. Sometimes they don't. Uh, and when the film starts, he is at the end of one where, uh, a woman that he was, uh, living with, uh, is in the process of leaving him. And we don't see a lot of emotion from him. It doesn't seem to really affect him. Um, for those that saw Bill Murray in Lost in Translation, he's really good at that stone face. Uh, but in Broken Flowers, it is like nothing but that stone face. I mean, we don't see a lot of smiles from him. We don't see a lot of emotion from him. We just see this kind of bland expression. Uh, to the point that I know some people were kind of uh, kind of put off by it. They They thought that it seemed... Uh, unrealistic and fair enough maybe it is um, but that's that's the neat thing about um, his performance and about the nature of the character is that uh, a, a, it it seems like kind of an affectation but we'll we'll talk more about that uh, in a moment uh, so his his current relationship is ending and then he gets uh, a letter in the mail saying that he has a son somewhere uh the letter is not signed and uh it says that the son is uh, about 20 years old and will probably be looking for him and so he finds this very strange and puzzling and so he takes it to his uh amateur detective next door neighbor and the two of them figure out well okay 20 years well that means it could be any number of women uh because the you know the letter's anonymous and and he, so he doesn't know who it is that he might have had a son with. And so uh, the neighbor, Winston, sets up uh, a, a long journey for him to take and in which he visits five women. Uh, 
that he was involved with 20 years ago and see if he can get any hints about which one might be the mother of this son that he may or may not have. And it's really interesting because uh, his, again, to go back to his expression and his actions, he keeps, all he ever does is talk about how stupid this this journey is, how stupid this quest is to find uh, the you know who the mother of his son is, um, and he just seems to be so reluctant to do it. That said, he does he does take the journey. He does go all the places that that are on his itinerary. He goes from from place to place, and and with each woman that he meets, uh, he sees a different part of his past and a different part of the effect that he had uh, on these women. Um, you know, for him, it was just, he's been, you know, a lifelong bachelor and just hasn't really been committed to any one person for any, uh, long stretch of time. Uh, and it's worked out fine for him seemingly. Uh, but he gets a chance to see the way that his, uh, lack of commitment, uh, has affected, uh, these women that he was with, uh, you know, 20 years before. Uh, some of them are very, you know, they still kind of not necessarily carry a torch for him, but they have fond memories of him. Uh, others are very bitter, uh, to the point of, I would say, hating him. Um, and then there are some who just, you get the impression that they're not necessarily bitter, they're not necessarily angry, but they are sad. And seeing him again just dredges up that sadness. And as he, and as we see him deal with with all of these uh, women, of course he keeps that expression on his face because, as we come to realize, he's just he's not a man who wears his heart on his sleeve. He doesn't like people to get too close. He kind of keeps them at arm's length. That's why he didn't wind up with any of these women in the first place. Why he has pushed away his current girlfriend. Um, and why, you know, it's to him, this is, a, this is what, uh, has worked for him is just being alone, being a bachelor, not letting anybody too close and not letting people know what you're thinking or feeling. Hence the, the, you know, the dead expression on his face most of the time, um, is that it's, it's, that's probably a conscious choice because he doesn't want to let people know what he's, what he's thinking. Um, <clears throat> But as I said, you know, as he keeps talking about how how dumb this whole thing is, he does every he go, you know, he he does every leg of the trip, um, and he does everything that his neighbor suggests um, to try and figure it out. So he comes back home, uh, and, and no, n- none of the women have given him any clue as to. Uh, as to whether or not they are the mother of this child, if they sent this, uh, if they sent the letter, um, or or anything like that, and so uh, so he comes home. He's kind of dejected, and he, and so he's sitting at this restaurant. He sees a young man, uh, probably around twenty, and he starts talking about. It starts talking to the young man, and the young man talks about, well, you know, uh, talking about it kind of in abstract terms, talking about his father and stuff like that. And Bill Murray starts to think, huh, maybe this is, uh, 
maybe this is my kid, you know? I mean, he's, he's from out of town. He's talking about his dad in broad terms. Maybe this is him. And so Bill Murray then says, well, look, I know you think I'm your father, at which point we get a horrified expression from the kid. Uh, and it became, becomes clear, oh, this is not his son. This is a, a random guy that Bill Murray has kind of projected some things onto. And so the kid, uh, quite uh, quite frightened, he, he runs away. Like he literally sprints away. And then Bill Murray does something that we do not expect, which is he runs after him at full speed. He wants to he wants to catch him because he's still he's still convinced that this is actually his kid and that he scared him away and he just runs and it is by far the most you know the most effort we've seen him put into anything you know and that's when that's when we see who he truly is you know he's not this uh, nonchalant guy who uh, you know who can't be phased. Uh, he is a guy who, I mean, he drops all of his pretense, he drops his mask, and he just goes running after this kid because clearly he has started to question the choices that he has made. He has started to f- feel rather lonely as he's gotten older, and the idea of having a, a son might be his last chance at human connection. And so he's tired of looking cool, he's tired of seeming, you know... Uh, stoic, he just drops everything and runs after this kid at full speed. And it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. And then, especially once he doesn't catch the kid and he's just left standing in the middle of the road out of breath, and he he doesn't have that dead expression anymore. Now he just looks like he's about to burst into tears. He looks so desperate and dejected. At which point a van drives by and a young man just like looks right at him. And it should be noted that this young man is played by uh, a young a young guy named Homer Murray, Bill Murray's actual son. And so Don sees this young man who looks a lot like him staring at him. And that's the end of the film is... A man, you know, and we we ultimately wind up much like up in the air, a man who thought that he could be alone. He thought that he didn't need other people. And I don't just mean romantically. He just, he thought that he could make it on his own and that was the way to be. It's just unattached and, you know, uh, invulnerable. Invulnerable? That's right. I think so. Um... And then as life has gone on, both of these men realize that, you know what, there might be more to this than I thought. And they become desperate for any kind of connection, not just romantic, but any kind of connection. Um, To the point of making one last grand gesture um, and dropping the pretense. uh, And making just one last attempt at human connection. And in both cases, they don't get what they were looking for, but they still have hope. You know, Bill Murray seeing his son, and then George Clooney deciding that he wants to play a more active role in his sister's life. Uh, you know, uh, these 
give us hope that these men, because they have changed their attitude, um, that they're, that they're not beyond hope and that they probably will find a real human connection, be it romantic or otherwise. And that's the thing is that, uh, in up in the air, it, you know, we see a lot of people, uh, there's like all these montages of, uh, we get the impression real people, uh, talking about the loss of their job and what got them through it. And the answer invariably is, uh, their family and their loved ones. Um, and the support, uh, of the people that care about them and know the situation. And, you know, and that's something that, uh, that in you know in my own life uh, I've found to be uh, immensely uh, helpful and true is you know uh, a connection with somebody else you know dealing with with other people um, it, that's that's how life is meant to be uh, spent because yeah you could it, it can hurt a lot romantically or, or whatever. I mean, you know, family and any kind of situation where there are people who know you incredibly well, people who may even know you better than you know yourself. I mean, there's the possibility that they can hurt you with that, you know, with that information and, you know, and nobody wants to be hurt, but at the same time, you know, making yourself vulnerable to somebody else can yield all kinds of, of rewards, you know, when the chips are down. So, um, you know, so that's what we can learn from these films. You know, I mean, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. Um, you know, and all through the Bible, you know, community is, is really when great things happen. Um, whether it be in, in the lives of the people involved or just for the world in general. So, um, so yeah, uh, see both of these movies up in the air is really a wonderful film. It looks like it's probably going to get some Oscars and, uh, and I'm fine with that. It's really a great movie. I, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't like it. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, uh, highly recommend it. So, uh, so that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening, uh, to, uh, uh the hushed tones, uh, episode. And, uh, yeah, head on over to more than one There are new blogs, including one of, up in the air written by Jason Eakin uh, next week uh, not next week next episode which will probably be up a day after this because I've already recorded it um, uh, one of the bloggers from uh, the website Josh Long is going to be on the show and we're going to be uh, kind of thinking outside the box a little bit we're not going to be talking about a specific movie but rather we're going to be talking about uh, our personal experiences uh, being uh, of being uh, film students and film fans uh, in the Christian community, um, and how that started and kind of the things that we've experienced. Um, so yeah, so that's going to be the next episode and having already recorded, I can speak to the fact that, uh, it's, it's interesting and it's, and it's fun and it's very long. It's almost two hours long. So, you know, uh, we, we kind of break it up into there, into, uh, three segments. So, uh, you know, you can listen to it in, in, separate chunks but uh yeah so uh come back for that and uh yeah i'll uh, get you next time bye 